Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Yes Mother, a podcast covering the A&E series Bates Motel. Today we are doing kind of a season one wrap-up slash psycho movie recap, rewatch. Um, I'm Sue. I'm Em. We've been churning these out like crazy, taking yep. over uh, quadruple C or both sides. <laughs> <laughs> we have, we have, well, we had to get them. I mean, it starts Monday. Today's Wednesday. So, had to get them out before the season two. Yeah, we recorded them, actually, most of them last week and maybe the week before. Mm. And then they all got lined up to be edited and. Then they got lined up at quadruple Z, not getting out, and so there was a backup problem. Ah, <laughs> oh, I see. Well, uh-huh. I think people will forgive us. Yeah, they'll probably be super sick of us if they listen to them all though this week. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> well, that's kind of what happened, so season two should be a little bit more consistent. It'll like, be consistent, and it'll be a little different. Won't be yeah. quite as heavily recappy of the show as much as... And there'll be lots more theories, and hopefully lots more people listening. Right. That's and what I'm looking forward to. Bringing in theories. Theories, yep. Feedback, things like that. So. Yeah, we've seen quite an influx with just Netflix getting it, and the show just like be getting into people's minds because it's coming up. On Monday, like, what's that, in like four days, five days? Yeah, about five days. So, yay. Yay. And this one is set to come out, I believe, on Sunday. So, hopefully, if all goes well, the one you're listening to now came out on Sunday before you watch Monday's show. But if not, whatevs, right? (laughs) All our little predictions. Well, they'll probably not answer everything. And I'm not sure we're going to do a lot of predictions at the moment, but... We'll see. Yep. Okay. So, been watching anything interesting? Well, I think, well, I just, I finished my third rewatch of Buffy last night. (laughs) But by third, I mean, I've watched the entire series front to back once. And then I've watched an episode here and there of the first four seasons. But it's five through seven. I love so I've watched that two additional times. That's not too bad. No. But it seems like you didn't discover Buffy too long ago, so that's a lot of Buffy. Like, what, two years ago, maybe? Three? Less than that, I guess. Is it less? <laughs> well, what happened is I was following Potential Cast, and I was really content to just listen along with them and watch when a new episode would come out and stay on point with them as they're doing their watch. And they're pretty slow sometimes. Um, you know, <laughs> I can say nothing being a member of McKinley cast. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, there's, and they're rewatching Angel in the meantime also. Oh. And so, and Angel I didn't care much about. In fact, I abandoned Angel till I was done with Buffy. But they got 
about midway through season five and it was just too slow for me at that point because I really, like I said, season five really captured me. And so I was watching slowly for like over a year with them, just one episode every few weeks for a long time. And then once I abandoned them, it was like... Once you realize I could watch this, I could watch this by myself, you know. <laughs> yes, and it's like I just could not, I couldn't do it anymore. It was too good. Nice. And so, I finished. I went from halfway to season five to season seven in probably two weeks. And then I believe I pretty much just started right again on season five. <laughs> I didn't watch it quite as fast, but and then I stopped for a long time, and then I just did it again. Did it again. And now you've gotten our sister-in-law, Bronwyn, into it. Or B, as we call her. That's right. I did. She's just where it starts getting really good in season two. I'm excited to see what she thinks. Season That's two's fun. got a very, very popular storyline, the second half. That's fun. I hope she likes it, because she's... I like B. She cracks me up when she really likes something. I, I can see you and her, like I told you earlier, having like your own little Buffy fan page. So you yes. can just talk to each other. <laughs> She's my Harry Potter nerd fan yeah. buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so right on. Been watching anything else? Or that's about it? Just uh, stuff for the show. Uh, I'd say I caught up on Downton, but... I am one episode behind now, I guess. Oh, so you haven't seen the last one, the one that was aired on Sunday? No. Dang it. Oh. <laughs> I was hoping you had. I wanted to talk to you about it. Oh, I'll watch it in the next day or two for sure. Cause Maybe. T- I oh, I'm doing laundry today, so. Watch it, because I don't know why, but this is like, I think, my all-time favorite Downton Abbey episode. I oh, loved it. Excited. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Julian Fellows decided that the Granthams needed to be part of that whole scandal. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a narcissistic thing to throw in your made-up characters into something like that. It couldn't be more narcissistic. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's that's just what I loved about the episode. And I mean, there's a lot that I liked. I really liked the whole thing as a whole, but... Um, I, I just know that Kelly and Tom are probably going to really make fun of them for that move because it's quite absurd. Well, I am very excited. Yep. So, so yeah, so obviously I've watched the last um, Downton Abbey. I watched a couple more episodes of Firefly. Ah. I really like Kaylee. Is that her name? There the, is a Kaylee. She's uh, the she's mechanic? Like the mechanic, yeah. Yeah. I like the one where they, she and the, what's the main dude's name again? The, like the captain. I don't remember. Yeah. That's not good. His, Sorry, all the Firefly fans that are throwing their iPods out the window. I've only watched like five episodes, so don't, don't blame me. <laughs> <laughs> but I like that I saw the one where he and her go to like that big ball and she's yeah, wearing that dress that looks like, remember those cake? doll dresses <laughs> yes totally <laughs> looks like those well you like do the barbie like you do frost the barbie head body at the top and then the frosting is her cake <laughs> those were so 80s 
Um, yes, I'm still liking Firefly, so I'll be moving on with that. And I watched a few more Justified, and I've gotten to the episodes that um, Abernathy's in, Jerry okay. Burns. He's just a menacing dude in that, too. He's really good. He is. That yeah. That actually shocks me. I don't remember where I... Oh, you know, like I uh, said I was going to watch that panel discussion with the cast. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. When they talked about Jerry Burns for a minute, and they called his character in this a departure, and that they took a chance on him to do something that's different than what he normally does. So it's like, he must be like the nicest, oh really, coolest dude in Justified. No, he's like the, no, he's like a skeevy real estate. People get killed and shot around him all the time, it seems like. So, no, he seems pretty, I mean, he's not like as bad as Aberdathy. So I guess they could call it a departure. He's not like crazy you know right like I, you know but i doesn't seem like too much of a departure to me well maybe harold can shed some light on that right harold, shed some light on that yeah because i've seen i don't know probably three episodes of justified with him in it but i'm still i'm, I'm actually really liking that show hmm. so i think i think you like it um and then just the last thing I just, on a whim, I think it was on Sunday morning, Saturday or Sunday morning, I got up extra early with the dog, of course, and just clicked on Veronica Mars and started watching that. Oh, did you? Have you seen it? No, but I want to. Wait, is it on Amazon, too? It's on Amazon. I'm not sure if it's on Netflix. It's not on Netflix. Everything's on Amazon. You better get that membership. I'm going to talk to Rob about getting Prime. (laughs) Yep. Um... I love it. It's, I love it. And then Cam came in when I was about three episodes in and together we watched like four more. Wow. And it's already that good. Just right at the beginning. And Cam liked it. And then we kind of got up for the day and, you know, because by then it was like 11 or so and Uh we did some stuff. And then that evening, um, NASCAR was on instead of like the Simpsons and stuff and Bob's Burgers. We were really, really bummed. <laughs> and um, Cam's like, put on that teen detective show again. So we, <laughs> we watched like two or three more. So like in one day we watched almost like nine se- nine episodes or so. Wow. But I cool. like it a lot. My co-host Rich on McKinley cast loves it so much. It's, you know, it's always been kind of in the back of my head to watch it because it's just one of those that has its fans. And then when, did you hear about that Kickstarter program they did a yeah. few months ago for the movie? And they gave it like 30 days to raise like $4 million. And within like four days, they had raised six. I mean, so I'm like, yeah. <laughs> okay, people love this show. <laughs> you know, there's got to be. It's got to be good, you know. I, I heard it's is it it's kind of uh, noirish. Kind of, yeah, totally. Cool. Um, yeah, Kristen Bell, who's just adorable. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, she plays her dad is like a private investigator. He used to be the sheriff of the town, but things happened, and now he's a private investigator. And uh, she, it's a little Twin Peaksy because like it's all based around like it 
it's not really a spoiler because it happens right at the beginning, but her best friend gets murdered. Oh, wow. And so she kind of helps her dad in his private investigating. And then she also, she goes to high school. So some of the kids hire her to like look in on things and she's still trying to investigate the murder of her best friend because she doesn't think the person who's in jail for it did it. So it's a little bit noir because she also narrates it, you know, a little bit. So it's good. Yep. I think, I really think you'll like it. I probably will. I've been told that before. So you can do a 30-day free trial on Amazon Prime. Oh, yeah. I think I've done it before. I've done it twice before. (laughs) I think they let you do it every year or something. Do they? So, anywho, so that's what I've been watching. And there's only three seasons of Veronica Mars, and we both like it so much. We'll probably be done with it in a couple weeks. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't know there were only three. I thought there were more. Yeah, it's one of those shows that just got canceled for a stupid reason you know mm-hmm. like it had its following but whatever network I don't even know what network originally aired it it just was not I just didn't know anything about it huh. and but it's yeah. one of those like if if they had the numbers if the show was being done today and then and they had the numbers that they had then it would have stayed on right you like, know, they like, say that about Arrested Development. Freaks and Geeks, too. They Freaks had, like, geeks. a 7 million viewer audience. I mean, right? it which was huge, huge now. <laughs> which is so weird that that seems huge now and wasn't then. Yeah, it's weird how things have shifted that much. Yeah, because wasn't Arrested Development the same way? Wasn't it, like, a 8 or 9 million viewership? Uh, maybe. I don't know. I've never heard those numbers. But Fox was like, nope, not enough. But now, a show that has eight or nine, I mean, because The Walking Dead is, like, what, the number one fiction show? And they're at, like, 12 and 13. Yeah. So, anyway, have you watched any of The Walking Dead? Oh, yeah. Oh, and you told me it was good. Holy crap, it is so good. Has there only been two or three? I've only seen been, two. There's been three now. Oh, I missed. Oh, it was just Sunday. Yeah. So, oh, I just love those first two so much. They oh, I love. They were just really good. Yep. Yep. I liked him a lot. That first one, I just loved. It's very, almost the whole thing are pulled from different volumes of the comic book series. That's what I heard. Well, uh, what did I listen to? Oh, I listened to uh, The Walking Dead podcast from the DMV. Oh, I need to download that. When I got my laptop, I put in a new iTunes account. Oh, yeah, that, that I always lose some podcasts, forget about them. When yeah, I... I'm glad you reminded me. I'll have to, yeah, it, I just thought Chandler Riggs was so good, and I loved him eating all the pudding. Yeah, that was cute. And, yeah, like in the comic book, at this time, when they're in that house, I don't know if you know this, but Carl in the comic book is way younger. Right, they've Carl. just had to have him older, because he's... right. Right, because in the comic book, I would say when they're at this house, he's probably only seven. And Rick is out for a few days, if I remember right, like when he kind of passes out. Uh You know, Carl has his day alone. If I remember right, in the comic book, that goes on for like three or four days. 
I heard he's just kind of like huddled up next to him for a lot of it. He's not quite as defiant. Well, he's like because he's younger, right? Yeah, <laughs> he's so so young. So sad. I know, but yeah, it was great. I just I don't know that first, just that first scene when it's Carl and Rick is walking behind, is like Carl, <laughs> Carl. <laughs> yeah, I really and it's, really liked it. Because I've only read like up, I've only read up to about issue fifty. 51 or 52 so like where it's at now is exactly where I ended the comic book and I haven't picked it back up yet I think you're like right exactly where Dave is also the whole show oh really yeah it's funny that is funny so yeah because I remember reading um because I picked him up I don't know it's been about a year year and a half and I didn't want to get too far in the comic. I wasn't sure how to gauge it. I was like, do I read the comic? Do I watch the show? Do I want, you okay. know? And I kind of got to where they were in the show at the prison and, and then a little bit beyond. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to pick it up later. I'm going to watch the show for a season or so and then pick up the comic book again. So, yeah, anywho. So it all depends on how you enjoy it. I like them both because they are so separate. But it yeah. is fun to see the, you know, the little things that are the same yeah okay so all right i think that's enough of what we've been watching all right should we start with psycho then and then we'll move yep. on to bait yep emily and i both watched psycho last night actually <laughs> yeah <laughs> i started about an hour ahead of her and if you were on facebook at the time you might have seen a few discussions on it I yep. just, my notes are more like little observations or live tweets kind of things. I don't know. I you same. Do, I hardly have any notes to tell you the truth. Hmm. So, where do you want to start? Well, my first note is it starts in Phoenix, Arizona. Did you notice that? You know, I didn't put that together. And that's where Norma says that she and Norman moved from. That's right. That's right. I think that was just a little nod. Yeah. My second note was Sam was annoying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, they were in the hotel room. And, you know, later I was doing a few extras on the DV- on the Blu-ray. And, no, I think this was – I looked up IMBD notes because I wanted to look if, – if you listen to McKinley Tass, you know I am all about fun facts. Uh-huh. I like fun facts. And so I thought I'd look up a few for the movie Psycho. And one of them was that Hitchcock was really unhappy with the guy that played Sam, and he called him the stiff on set. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so I was a little vindicated when I'm like, I don't like that guy. Well, he was just – I guess it was more his words than anything in that first hotel scene or wherever they were. Were they the very opening scene with the hotel scene with Marion or the hotel scene with her sister? With Marion. Okay, yeah, that's the very like opening. Yeah, I just thought he was. He was really annoying in that, actually. I don't remember specifics. Like none of these are very specific notes; just little live tweets, observations. <laughs> right. Right. Um. Yeah, I couldn't, just the whole dialogue in that first scene, I couldn't quite 
put it together. So, and then it, I realized after a while, okay, so he, he lives out of town. Cause at first I was like, is that her boss? Is that, I yeah. Don't know. I didn't quite understand. I remembered were... the overarch of their thing. So I remembered that he was just a kind of an affair, kind of a ordeal. Well, he seems to be her boyfriend. I mean, yeah, but he's way. married. I thought he was. He talks about alimony. He's divorced. No, he's not divorced. I think he was saying, "Oh, well, you know, if we divorced. if we get divorced, it's going to be all about the alimony." And that is actually her motivation for stealing the money. Right. That's I picked up on that. That that's that he wanted to pay his debts off, and right. That's right. That's so right. they could be together. Okay. Did you notice the um, Hitchcock cameo? I didn't. I read. Where is it? It was. I was looking for it because I knew it had to be in like the first. I knew it had to be before they get to the hotel. Do you know why it was early? Probably because he would have been. It would have taken us all out of our place if he's in the hotel, you know. Yeah, kind of. It was early because he wanted to have it over with so people weren't distracting themselves by looking for him because at that point. It was a big thing that he was in the pictures, and so right. wanted that just out of the way so people would concentrate on the movie. And that's that's kind of what I meant. If yeah, once Marion gets to the hotel, and then for the rest of the movie is kind of based around that, it would have been weird to see him somewhere. You know, mm-hmm. it would have kind of like taken you out of the movie. But he is. It's when she gets back from her little fling with Sam, and get back. She gets back from lunch and. Her boss isn't there yet with that obnoxious guy with the $40,000. Oh, jeez. Oh, man. But <laughs> it shows her walking into the office, and it shows a shot outside the window onto the sidewalk, and Hitchcock mm-hmm. is standing right there. Oh, okay. So he's in, like, the first, I would say, seven minutes, eight minutes of the movie. Hmm. But it's obviously him, because you can kind of see him kind of like a – little bit of a profile then he kind of turns his head and you can just see his jowls <laughs> you know <he> goes, <laughs> right. that hitchcock face you know it's right. like, oh there he is so anyway um so yeah i really thoroughly enjoyed rewatching the movie it's been a long time that's a good movie yeah, i did too it is a very good movie i really enjoyed it it was good and i think anthony perkins is just so cute as norman I know. I think I mentioned that in our very first podcast that I just, I loved, you know, we were talking about how you like Norman. You do. And you like Norman in Base Motel. And I'm like, you really like Norman in Psycho. He's, he's a doll. Yeah. I I was, I kind of went in watching this because I remembered that conversation, how we like Norman. We're like, is he like the first serial killer that we're supposed to like? Or the first, (laughs) you know, anti-hero, whatever. Yeah. And I did. I liked him. Despite what he was doing, I still found him kind of sweet. And sure. Well, he had innocent. a he had a quite the mental problem, you know. He yep. really did. Yeah. But um, one thing I noticed that I believe they did in the TV show too was when Marion pulls up to the Bates Motel, and he comes out of the house and she's like, do you have any vacancies? And he says, 12 cabins, 12 vacancies. I'm pretty sure Norma says that same thing to Dylan when he pulls up with the gang of trimmers. I think she does. Yeah. 
I think she words it almost exactly like that. Because then he's like, what happened to the guy in room number nine, you know? Yeah. But, um. That's awesome. Yeah. Because Norman says it to, like, everybody that comes to the hotel. Like, that's his He thing. says it, like, three times, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's his little, that's his little saying. Did you notice, though, that, um, there's a, de- one of the first departures I noticed, a really big one, was that they had just bought the hotel ten years before. Yep. Wait a minute. I guess that's not a real huge departure because he's probably late twenties, early thirties at the thirty, maybe at the most. Yeah, he's a little bit younger than I remembered. I was in my mind, I was thinking he was like more mid thirties, but he does seem he's maybe late late twenties. Yeah, I would say like twenty eight to thirty two ish. So, gee, um, that's not a really a departure much. Not all, a huge departure, but. I think in the movie he says that the man that his mother oh they built it built it that's right that was the other thing I knew there were like two little things yeah so that's a big departure because in Bates Motel it's already well the house is already about a hundred years old we don't know about the hotel I guess yeah but you know they definitely didn't build it no um Oh boy, when you see Norma in the window for the first time, did you just get the biggest chills? Yes. Holy crap. <laughs> and just hearing her voice the first time too, hearing when Marion's in her room and he's like, he just invited her up to the house for dinner. Mm-hmm. And then she can hear him talking to his mother in the house. Yeah. They really creeped up that voice. <laughs> yeah, let's, there were some things on IMBD. They like um, it was three different people that they like put together. Oh, that I remember did the voice. hearing that. Yeah, yeah, I remember hearing something about that. So, so yeah, she um, she goes off, and it's because what Marion agreed to go up to his house for dinner and she's a stranger yeah so kind of like nice girls don't come to your doorstep the day after you move in <laughs> right yeah <laughs> I didn't catch that so yeah yeah that was creepy seeing her in the window because that's Norma's room in the show <laughs> <laughs> Um, and did you notice when they're in the parlor having what he calls a sandwich, but it looks like she's just eating a little piece of bread. Piece of bread. <laughs> <laughs> Unless he had built a very dry sandwich and she was just nibbling on the bread part. It must be. So I, I did notice that. <laughs> that is not a sandwich. <laughs> but, um, and they're talking about the stuffed birds and. He's like, I wouldn't ever do it to cats or dogs or anything. Yeah, I wrote that down because it was so interesting. Some people stuff dogs and cats, but I couldn't do that. <laughs> that made me laugh. But, you know, you know that he stuffed his mother. So Right. But right. he really looks genuinely like, ooh, I could never do that. He does. He does. But, you know, he is. He's. He is very mentally ill, so he doesn't know. He's got a split personality. You don't... He didn't know. He really genuinely 
you know, his mother was real and alive. Yeah, yeah. So I, whatever I, part of him stuffed the mother was just absolutely, totally gone from his consciousness. Yeah, that's one thing that really stood out with this viewing of the movie. Because I don't know, because watching it before, I don't know if I really picked up on that as much. I thought he was still just like knowing he was pretending to be his mom for some reason. But in this one, I'm, you know, he really is like he does become his mother. Yeah, well, he it it's it's a little rough just because he dresses up like her. Right. And it, the guy at the end said it's when something threatens the fact that she is really dead makes him dress up. And you know, that's a little rough. I don't know right. how realistic that is. Could be totally realistic. I don't really know, but to me it doesn't quite fit together perfectly. Right, cuz I mean I my only real other that I can think of of seeing, you know, a movie or hearing about someone with like a split cuz isn't that like so rare? It's almost crazy rare like someone who truly has like dissociative yeah. disorder or something they call it. But like Sybil, that movie. Right, Sybil. Sally Field. And I don't remember her like dressing in different ways. Um, no, but they said her entire like demeanor would change more or less. Right, right. But yeah, she didn't. Because like one was a great piano player and one was right. an artist and one was a little bashful like eight-year-old girl and, you know. She may I, choose to dress differently just because that personality might choose something different out of her closet. True, true, true. But nothing like that. And what if, if I remember correctly, one of Sybil's split personalities was a little boy. I think you're right. But Man, she I, was weird because she had, like, was it 13? I thought it was, like, 20-something. Uh, I don't know. It's been a lot. I, I think in that the movie. In, like, I think in the high. movie. I, I know. I was going to say, I think I was in, like, eighth grade when I saw they, it. They, like, show you that in health class. <laughs> I know. It's like... <laughs> Don't let this happen to you, kids. <laughs> if you have sex, this will happen. I believe it was her mother. But, her uh, mother was abusive, right? Or a stepfather or something. I remember something about a barn or something. I don't know. It's been so long. I remember her mom. Like I don't remember really clearly, and I didn't understand it at the time. I was pretty young, but mm-hmm. it was something like she put water up inside her and then she made her sit against the piano while she oh, played yes. and she had to keep it in the whole time. That's right. Really weird like that. I remember that. So her mom was definitely abusive. I don't know about sexually, but a little. I mean, that's weird. <laughs> right. So yeah, I yeah, it just struck me on this viewing that he that he does absolutely have this extremely rare you know. Yeah. Well, when of, you know. when his mother kills Marion and he sees it, he honestly he is surprised. Mother. Yeah. And he's horrified and all of that. Yes. Right. Yeah, cuz when he walks in the bathroom and sees her, he's like, <gasps> you know, and has to like look away and and then just g- goes about cleaning up like this isn't the first time he's had to do that. Right. But um yeah, very interesting. Very. So, 
do you know anything about what Psycho is based on? Did you know it was based on like the a book about Ed Gein, I believe? Yeah, I actually read up on that. Um, I read the synopsis on Wikipedia of the novel, and it seems almost a mirror of the movie. Um, the biggest difference that I could see was that he kills her by beheading her in the shower or bath. Oh, really? In the novel. Yeah, it's not like multiple stabbings. Like in the movie, it's a beheading. Um, Ew. Yeah. Other than that, it seemed almost spot on to the plot. But <laughs> did you know that Francois Truffaut, like, did some famous interview with Alfred Hitchcock, got him to admit a lot of stuff he never admits, and wrote a book about it? No. Truffaut and Hitchcock. Really? Boom, my mind exploded. <laughs> that and, would have been so cool to be like the camera guy or the, you know. Well, there's the, an interpreter. And in that room. <laughs> my, uh, that Blu-ray you gave me had 15 minutes of the actual interview. It isn't, it's only audio. And so they just play like the movie during really? that 15 minutes. And it's so awesome. But <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to borrow that from you. Yeah, you totally need to borrow it. And I haven't watched all the extras. It was just too late last night. I wished I had, could for this discussion, but I definitely right. watched those 15 minutes and Truffaut <laughs> goes up. The beginning is just him going off for like five or six sentences of how horrible the novel was and how he just like pff, spit on that book. How could that have been written? <laughs> he didn't say that, but <laughs> he could not get over the fact how horrible the book was, but he really respected and loved the movie. But apparently, and cause I was like reading the synopsis and Ooh, you know, I should read that. That seems pretty interesting, but apparently it's just horribly written <laughs> according to <laughs> Truffaut. <laughs> but, but somehow Hitchcock read it and saw a movie in it, huh? Yeah. And Hitchcock kind of downplays it. He's like, cause Truffaut's like, did you read that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you even read that because if you say yes i will have no respect for you sir <laughs> right. <laughs> but hitchcock just kind of says well i either just start it and read enough of it and then i just have someone do the screenplay or i um just read it super quick and like an afternoon kind of skimmy stuff right and he couldn't remember by the time they did that interview which had actually happened but Anyway, kind of funny. That's hilarious. Oh, I want to... Yeah, we'll have to meet up for something, and I'll swap you American Splendor for uh, that Psycho Blu-ray so I can watch the extras and stuff. Sounds like a fantastic idea. Sure does. <laughs> We're getting some nice weather. Maybe we could do a day at the park. <laughs> oh, the girls would like that. Yes. So, um... Okay, yeah. Oh, oh, so the Ed Gein stuff. Um, this was interesting to me. He, this, Ed Gein lived like 30 minutes from the author of the book. He just, it was kind of creepy what he did, um, how close he got to the actual story, and he didn't even know it. Really? Mm-hmm. Can we pause this for a sec so I can let Bunny out? He's scratching. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, sorry. Okay, so the Ed Gein stuff. This is what Wikipedia says. In November 1957, two years before Psycho was first published, Ed Gein was arrested in his hometown of Plainfield, Wisconsin, 
for the murders of two women. When police searched his home, they found furniture, silverware, and even clothing made of human skin and body parts. Psychiatrists examining him theorized that he was trying to make a woman suit to wear so he could pretend to be his dead mother, whom neighbors described as a Puritan who dominated her son. At the time of Gein's arrest, Blotch was living 35 miles away, um, and though Blotch did not look into the details of the Gein case at the time, it gave him an idea, and he began writing with the notion that the man next door may be a monster, unsuspected, even in the gossip-ridden microcosm of small town life. Blotch was surprised later when he discovered how closely the imaginary character he'd created resembled the real Ed, Ed Gein, both in overt act and apparent motivation. It's kind of oh, crazy. That is crazy. How, wow. Huh, that's very interesting. Yeah. That would be really weird if you, like, write what you think is a fictional book and then, like, yeah. oh, that happened? <laughs> it sounds like just the idea of a monster living next door in a small town and you have no idea. Mm -hmm. And he just came up with all of that and to find out later that he was really close. Wow. That's cool. Pretty cool. Interesting. So, um... One thing I also noticed about Norman in the movie is that he's a terrible liar, just like Norma is. Well, you know, what I wrote is that Norma got her lying or her cool cat skills from Marion. She was the worst. Oh, Marion was the worst. Oh, what do you mean? You know, just really, really bad. Oh, yeah. Especially that scene with when the cop Pulls up to her when she's sleeping in her car. Yeah. I mean, way to play it cool. <laughs> yeah, she did not play it cool at all. And it reminded me of Norma. So that's really funny that I wrote that down and you <laughs> you saw it in Norman. <laughs> I noticed it in Marion too, but I don't know. I kind of figured the whole Marion Crane part. I mean, I guess there she is a major part of the movie. So I was just more focused on Norman and, you know. Right. But, yeah, when I want to call him Abernathy because his name is kind of close. Abergrass it is. Or Ab Abergrass? Something like that. I didn't write it down. Um, the detective? The detective. Yeah, the private eye. He, uh, yeah, when he comes to the hotel, you know, it just it just reminded me of, like, Norma talking to Sheriff Romero. Or totally. Something. You're right. Totally. <laughs> And I also wrote down that George Costanza got his eating makes you look casual from Norman. <laughs> <laughs> eating. Do you, do you remember on Seinfeld, George says that he likes to, when he like makes a phone call or a voicemail, he likes to be eating an apple because he sounds casual. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like Norman was always, I found out in the IMBD notes that it was candy corns. Oh, is that what it was? Uh-huh. And... He was just eating them all the time, and it did make him look casual. <laughs> I knew it was some sort of candy, because he did offer, he's like, you want some candy? You know, he's right. got a little bag. And That's that neat. was a little something that Hitchcock let Anthony Perkins decide about his character. It was a little thing that he got some artistic license to decide that Norman, his character, would always be just munching on candy corn. How funny. What a weird thing to decide about your character. But it works. I mean, it's... it. I, I like how he does it throughout the movie, you know? He's got him in his pocket. He's got a little bag of them. 
Yeah. And it just reminds, that just made me flash to that scene in the lawyer's office in Bates Motel when Norma is still really mad at Norman. Uh-huh. She has just been in jail, you know, and right. she and the lawyer are talking and Norman is just sitting next to Norma and the lawyer's got a little dish of candy on her desk and he like reaches over and <laughs> that would be, his mouth. That would be so cool if Bates Motel started having him eat candy corn. That would be awesome. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> I mean, I certainly... Like that happened, Carlton Cues. Yeah, little Easter eggs are fun. They are fun. You know, but I certainly don't need Bates Motel to be true to Psycho, which you already know it's not, you know. Right, and they've stated that they're using it as a backdrop and as a inspiration, as, but they're not... Yeah, they're using, like, the mythology. And, yeah. But, yeah, but... Don't expect it to end up exactly, you know, every little detail. Right, which I don't. I mean, it's its no. own story, but um, little things like that are kind of fun, though. Yeah, just once in a while, something like that would be great. Yep. And there doesn't seem to be any harm in it either. You know? And, you know, all it would need to be was just like a bowl of candy corn somewhere that he eats. Kind of yep. like that scene. <laughs> just be fun. Yep, exactly. Yeah, and we were right that she was in Cabin 1. We were right. we discussed that, I think, in the very first. We did. But that scene, remember how I was saying, it's in the episode. I'm not good at episode titles, so I can't just pull those out of my head. Um, it's the episode where Shelby gets shot and... Mm-hmm. Trust and, me, I think. I think you're right. Um, no, the truth? It's the, the truth. I think it's the truth because she yes, and Dylan are sitting she on She and the Dylan stick. have that talk at the end. Yeah. That's right. Yep, it's the truth. And um, But Norman is in that trance and and Norma ends up like dragging him and it shoots it from the top of the stairs and you see her like dragging him out. Uh-huh. And I was like, I know I've seen that before, but I was looking for it. It doesn't happen in this movie. So I don't know why that seems so familiar to me. I don't know. I wonder if it's in one of the other psycho movies. Have you seen any of the sequels? You know, I have, I've seen, I have one flash where it actually show is like a flashback of showing the poisoning. I think cause they throw up. And so that was <laughs> stuck in my mind <laughs> that it shows the death of the mother and her lover. Oh, really? Cause I know I've seen, is there three sequels or two? I believe there's three. I think there's three. And one of them is actually not bad. I mean, it's not great, but it's not, it's watchable. I can't remember which one it is. But I, I think wonder just if for it's... fun, at the end of every season, we should just watch one. I just... was going to say, <laughs> we should sprinkle those in. We should, just for during, fun. During, like, hiatus times or something. Yeah. Just might as well do the whole canon, if you will, you know. Just for, I know that they're not, you know. Hey, they might be for good, make fun of. Oh, podcasts, for sure. You know. But I wonder if it's from one of those that I'm picturing. Because I swear, I've seen it. It's weird. Huh. Much about any of them. I know that there's one where you get a very startling scene. It looks like it looks like Mrs. Bates coming up the stairs and ends up being Norman's aunt. Uh-huh. I remember that. I read that uh, the author did two sequels 
which the movies didn't have anything to do with. Let's see. It says, Blotch wrote two sequels, Psycho 2 and Psycho House. Neither was related to the film sequels. In the novel Psycho 2, Bates escapes the asylum disguised as a nun and makes his way to Hollywood. And Universal Pictures allegedly did not want to film it because of its social commentary on splatter films. <laughs> Must be pretty gory in the book. <laughs> and in Psycho House, murders begin again when the Bates Motel is reopened as a tourist attraction. I think these are like pulp fictions. Not oh, are they? Be, I mean, they're like, you know, actual pulp novels. <laughs> right, right. Huh. Interesting. I don't know if I'm so inclined to read them. <laughs> no. <laughs> After Truffaut poo-pooed them. <laughs> Francois Truffaut poo-poos it. <laughs> oh, I still think that's awesome that they interviewed like that. Yeah, and I think one amazing director interviewing another, it sounds like it just really made Hitchcock open up and talk about stuff. He's he was apparently very close-mouthed about. I've heard that about him. everything, and yeah. so this was like the only interview that got some stuff out of him. Which makes sense. I mean, if you're talking to someone who is in the same line of work as you are, right, and both very well dis- respected at the same time exactly. in different countries, but yeah, well, and not getting interviewed by some blonde, right, reporter like. Although if it was blonde, he might have been nicer. but cool so what else did you think about what else struck you in the movie um oh i like the line when they were eating in the in the office part in the little lounge um (laughs) and she says you eat like a bird you he says you eat like a bird and she looks around says you know of course and he goes not really (laughs) yeah Yeah, that was a pretty interesting conversation when, did you notice in that little parlor scene that it kind of looks like he's about to go into like a Norman trance? (laughs) No, I didn't notice. When she suggests that maybe his mother would be better off, you know, in an institution. Oh, that would make sense at a time where he might, for sure. Especially in Bates Motel. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. She's not a whore! Right, exactly. (laughs) Then a few episodes later, you're crazy! (laughs) (laughs) But no, he, and then he kind of has like about a three minute, you know, like, speech about being crazy and lonely and those places are awful and I don't know, you can just kind of see this darkness in his eyes start and I was like, that's a Norman trance. (laughs) Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. And Hitchcock chose birds because he feels like birds are watchers. And he looked at it like Norman would have gotten obsessed with birds because it was it was a way to like have birds always watching him. Like having to do with his guilt about what he had done. Oh. So he placed he Hitchcock just felt like he would have gotten obsessed with birds and placed birds around because they would do, you know, do something about keeping his guilt alive over what he had done. Oh, that was interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. The birds were definitely creepy. 
Yeah. And yeah. apparently his next movie was Birds. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, was that before or after? Because when I was watching, I was like, is this a little nod to the Birds? It was before, and there's just a theory that he got so into Birds doing Psycho that he made a movie about Birds. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so Marion really had to sit down on paper and subtract $700 from $40,000. You know, <laughs> I saw that too. It's like, let's see, $40,000 minus $700 is $3,700? No. <laughs> He's a secretary. She should have a, that skill. <laughs> I know. That is not rocket science. No. And but... Here's the deal, and this is my theory about why they did that, is for some reason, like now I can't remember who it was, that it was obsessed with showing, oh, it must have been the script writer. He really wanted to show a flushing toilet to get realism. And, you know, did you know that Psycho was the first movie that ever showed a flushing toilet? I had no idea. Yeah. And for some reason, the script guy was obsessed with that fact. And he wanted that for realism, and so... They had to flush something. They had to flush something, and they wanted to show it, and so a piece of paper <laughs> is far more pleasing to the eye than any... You know, I don't think Hollywood was ready for that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Showing her flush paper is okay. <laughs> I don't think Hollywood's ready now for that. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> and it shouldn't be, ever. No. So, yeah, so I think she must have just had to write some, although they could have come up with something they better than, come... let's see, the car was $700. I know. That's, How much money so, do I have now? Does that mean I have 40700 left? <laughs> <laughs> I better. Wait, no, I need to subtract, not add. <laughs> so that is my personal theory. I mean, they could have. Because she seemed to have a little bit of a change of heart. It could have been like a confessional letter. Yeah, and she did have a change of heart. It's not super apparent, but she was planning on going home and saying, no. Like maybe it's not too late to turn it in. Yeah. Will you press charges if I bring all the money back? (laughs) I I have it written down. I spent 700 of it. (laughs) 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 It's all written down here. (laughs) <laughs> oh, and she, her change of heart was coming from that speech with Norman because she did not want to end up with Norman Bates. Right, right. I I picked up on that, that he kind of, not meaning to, but. Right. Just his alone lifestyle, right? It had to have been, because if you, yeah, because if you steal $40,000 and people know it was you, you're alone the rest of your life. Cause right, you're done. Because you're constantly on the run. So, so yeah, I think she was planning on going back and saying, press charges if you need to. I'm really sorry. Here, Here's all, except for $700. Um, you know, so I think that was her plan. So, yeah, she could have easily had sat down and written, like, a letter to her boss. Yeah, but why would she throw it away in the toilet. Because maybe she decides to just do it in person or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Or rewords it different. I don't know. But She could have come up with a bunch of figures. <laughs> <laughs> just subtract. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. 
No, it made me giggle too when I saw that. So the only note I put about the shower scene was that must have been like the most painful way to die. I've heard stabbing is so painful. Luckily, I've never been stabbed. I just watching that, I thought, oh man, that I'm telling you, there's there's no way I could do it to someone. We've had this discussion before. That's not my go-to. There's no way I would be able to stab someone because it would just. Can you imagine? I mean, it hurts to just cut yourself when you're like doing dishes or something and you grab a knife or something. You know what I mean? Uh, just have your organ just. Yeah. Awful. That was I've always an awful thought way to die. Getting stabbed and burning to death have just got to be. Ooh, burning to death. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> I mean, I know most people who die in fires, they die of, like, smoke inhalation. Right. They're not actually burned. Which can't know. be fun, but definitely better, preferable. Better. better, exactly. And I've heard all sorts of theories. Is that, I've heard it's chocolate syrup that's in It the, was Bosco chocolate syrup. Because yeah. that shows up better on black and white than, like, Hollywood blood or something. Yeah. And plus, they were trying to make that movie super cheap. I said, there were a few, the IMBD trivia was insanely long. Oh, really? The first few things contradicted some of the ending stuff. Like, the first few, it was... um, I should just find it instead of try and paraphrase it. Got some editing to do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I read up a little bit on it, like, when we first started talking about doing this podcast and watching Psycho... Um, didn't his like camera crew for his TV show film this or something or Yeah. That's what he wanted cuz wasn't the studio like behind it but not 100% behind it or something. Um a lot of people weren't behind it but um okay here it is. One of the reasons Alfred Hitchcock shot the movie in black and white was he thought it would be too gory in color. But the main reason was that he wanted to make the film as inexpensively as possible, under one million. He also wondered if so many bad, inexpensively made black and white B-movies did so well at the box office. What would happen if a really good, inexpensively made black and white movie was made? So it sounds like it was a lot. I I think by this time he was pretty, almost had his own you know, write his own ticket kind of stuff. Well, I think so, because I think he'd already done, like, North by Northwest by now. Yeah, and North, and I think that was his last one before this one. He was... Like, Strangers on a Train? I mean, he had a few... Is that yeah. his? Yeah. He, yeah, and North by Northwest did really well at the time. I don't... Let's see, what's that other one? Is oh, North Window before or after? Hmm. That, that one's in color, so I think that one was after. But wasn't North by Northwest in color? Was it? it? I think so, wasn't it? It's been a long time since I've seen it. It hasn't been that long for me, but I still don't remember. (laughs) Well, movies had been in color. I mean, Gone with the Wind's in color. That was 1937. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds... Yeah. No, Gone with the Wind was 39. Oh, sorry. But color was definitely around. Right. He he made a definite choice. Like an artistic choice and a budget choice. Yeah, it... It sounds like he was doing kind of a um, experiment, <laughs> right? To see if he could make a cheaply good movie and see what it would do. That makes sense because that was around the time of those great B black and white movies, right? Yeah, 
And so why not try and do one that's actually good? Yeah, okay, and it says Alfred Hitchcock deferred his standard 250000 salary in lieu of 60% of the film's net profits. That was probably a really good move. Uh, yes, his personal <laughs> earnings for the film exceeded $15 million. Adjusted <laughs> for inflation, that amount would now top $150 million. Wow. So that was a very good choice. Here is what I liked about the budget, too. Alfred Hitchcock was so pleased with the score written by Bernard Herrmann that he doubled the composer's salary. Isn't that awesome? That was cool. I love that he was like, this is so good, I'm going to double your salary. He didn't have to do that. They probably already had a contract. Probably already had a contract and everything. What a good guy. And this wasn't on IMBD, but I heard that it was all strings because the composer was trying to save money by not well, having fire it works because that movie that that music is crazy yeah and it also said that he the original plan was to do the shower scene completely silent and so harriman um was like what the heck i'm gonna write a score for the shower scene anyway just for fun and oh, wow. liked it so much he added it and now it's like absolutely iconic it's Probably in like, even if you haven't seen the movie, oh yeah, you, you know that music. On it, absolutely like, one of the most iconic. You know, you hear this. What's, what's this from? You know, right? Exactly. It's up there with like Jaws. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. It's just crazy how things like that just happen to fall into place and then becomes like so iconic like that. Well, they say one of the best friends of art is. Um, constraints, you know? Right, exactly. Because you get more creative. You do. You get more creative. You have to think outside the box. Right. <laughs> Hate that term. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Interesting. That's really interesting. Okay, well, here's another thing kind of in the same vein. The movie, in large part, was made because Alfred Hitchcock was fed up with the big-budget, star-studded movies he had recently been making and wanted to experiment with the more efficient, sparser style of television filmmaking. He ultimately used a crew consisting mostly of TV veterans and hired actors less well-known than he usually used. Just sounds like he was, like, sick of blockbuster before that term was... You know, just right. the big budget, star-studded stuff. He just wanted to do something a little more artsy. That makes sense. I mean, you know, because he did have, you know, Jimmy Stewart previously. You know, he was already a big name by then. And I would think that you probably get sick of those egos after a while. And just, you know, I want someone who's just an actor who's going to appreciate having a job. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> I would be that way, I think. <laughs> I think so. Oh, there's no way I could <laughs> hang out with some of those people. But uh That's cool. I mean, it sounds like it was just kind of like his little pet project. Oh, yeah. Boy, he, it was. Like, have you heard the little things like he didn't let anybody allowed in the theater after the movie started and there were a lot of ads that he put out in his own voice, you know, talking and begging people not to reveal the ending. And so he built the book. This was my favorite one of these. He built, he bought the book rights for 90,000 and then he scoured the country for as many copies of the book as he could find and bought them. So no one, 
would read it so they know what happens in the movie. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? That is awesome. Oh my gosh. I can just see him going into like all these bookstores like, <laughs> do you have any copies of Psycho? I'll take them all. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, that's funny. And he probably had goons across the country doing it. Yeah, from hired, I love goons. It. hired goons. Hired oh, goons. Oh man. That's good for him. That's funny. Yeah, and you know, it's good for the writer of the book he got a lot of copies sold <laughs> right Ex- yeah really and he was trying to protect the end well and after all this i mean i would psycho is probably probably his most famous movie isn't it i mean i guess yeah i'd say so and it's it was the it was the biggest profit it made the most of any of his in his whole career nice like i mean i love a lot of rear window is one of my all-time favorite movies yeah, and North by Northwest is amazing. Yeah, I'm gonna have to rewatch that. I haven't watched it in a long time. I forgot. But um, it's really good. But I think when people think of you know, if you're like name a Hitchcock movie, I bet nine times sure. out of ten, Psycho comes out of their mouth. You know. Yeah. Well, there's Vertigo. That one's good. Vertigo's good. good. Mm-hmm. There's a lot though I've noticed because of that. I think at the beginning of Bates Hotel, there's a big Alfred Hitchcock DVD, you know, promo. And oh, so I've there? watched it quite a few times, and I've noticed there's a lot of them I haven't seen, or I've ever even heard of. He did a lot, yeah. I've probably seen, I don't know, six or seven of them, maybe. I guess I've seen about that many too. Yeah. But uh. But yeah, I don't know anything else on the movie. What did you think of, like? the reveal or I liked seeing the inside of the house and the yeah, staircase. Me too. Here's some of my little just short things. The detective falling down the stairs after being stabbed. That was a total Hitchcock fail. Yeah. So bad. <laughs> he just like slips down an entire flight of stairs. You know, we just on his feet like Yeah, why did Matt he... and I call it the burbs. Because at the end of the burbs when Tom Hanks like just down like four stairs (laughs) after the house explodes so anytime Matt or I like slips down like two stairs like that we call it we pull the burbs yeah he burbed down the entire (laughs) stairs I it was really really bad yeah I think I when I was watching it I was like what why why didn't they have him tumble yeah I don't know it was a really bad choice on my in my eyes. Totally. And then I also wrote that Romero is no longer the sheriff. <laughs> <laughs> He's retired or worse. <laughs> um, oh, and I also wrote Norma Bates would have never worn those shoes. <laughs> it, it, you know, it shows her carrying her down to the fruits. <laughs> right. Never would have worn those shoes. Vera for me it. No way. Um, the bed indentation. Ew. Oh, it was so gross. It's and it reminded me of her. It. Yes. Ew. And it reminded me of her Shelby in the bed. Same. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh. Here's one thing. Um. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so I think we've gotten a little lost. In discussing Bates Motel with 
we keep discussing um, Norman's motivations and why he goes into his fugue states and stuff. And it was very simply put in the movie that his split personality was born of jealousy of his mother having another man in her life. Yes, I... It was stated that way, and I thought, hmm. Yeah, I picked up on that, interesting for the shipping Norman. (laughs) 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 Yes, so... Because the mother personality killed Marion because she was jealous. And that's that's exactly what the detective said. Yes, exactly. But... I thought that was interesting. Uh, well, I guess, because I was going to say, at this point in Bates Motel... He's not split personality. No, and she also was with his dad up until just recently. But then there was Shelby for a little while. And he did show a lot of jealousy about Shelby. He did not. Yeah, like he Shelby. did. And you know, he to be fair, he doesn't have a split personality yet. No. And he has done a few things like talked what she said in her voice, you know, that have been like, ooh, you know. Yes. <laughs> but yes. there's definitely I guess the split personality would be just coming to apparently is coming to terms with committing matricide. Right. So, anyway, interesting. Um, here's what I would hear, and I wrote a couple things I would like to see. Maybe I just wrote one thing down. I was going to write more, but that's the only one I could come up with. What I'd like to see in Bates Motel after seeing this movie is Norman switching to birds. I'd like to see that. I'd like them to show that. Same, same. And I'd like the candy corns. I'd like to see the candy corns. Um, yeah, and I think we're just going to get more of, I think we're going to really see, and I, this is something I would like to see is just more progression of Norman becoming Norma, kind of like he did outside of, after his little speech with Bradley. I want to see a little bit more of that. Not all the time, but just here and there, you know? Yeah, exactly. And my only last note was the how chilling that thank you is when the guard hands him the blanket. And I oh. remember as a kid, that was the most chilling thing to me, too. Yes, and just when she's like, I would never hurt a fly. Oh, Yeah, but boy, that first thank you. Yes. Oh, so creepy. <laughs> so creepy. So creepy. And that was so um you told me you texted me and said, You need to look for Ted Knight, he's a guard. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, I only read that after I had seen it and I had, you know, turned the Blu-ray off and I was in my bed and it was all in the living room and I'm like, No. I'm not going to go look, but I definitely will at some point sometime, but I had to have you go look. (laughs) Yep. So he is the one that is standing guard at the door in that last scene. And he's the one that opens the door for that guard that gives him the blanket. Oh, okay. And then it kind of focuses on Ted Knight for a minute and he's just standing there. And, uh, 
it's totally him. You can, I don't know. I think it'd be one of those things that if you hadn't told me, I would have sat there going, who is that? Who is that? Who is that? <laughs> you know, it would have been driving right. me nuts because he doesn't have the white hair, you know, the Ted Knight hair. Oh, yeah. Well, how long is it before the Mary Tyler Moore show? Ten years? I would say at least ten years because this was 1960, probably filmed in, what, 58 or 59? Yeah, um, say Mary started around 1970. Or I would say Mary Tyler Moore is probably around 70 or 71-ish. Yeah. So only about ten years. Um, but I mean, he's got a hat on, but you can tell he doesn't have the gray hair that he has, the <laughs> iconic Ted Knight. And I'm just looking at him going, man, you've got such a great role coming up. <laughs> it's like, keep <laughs> acting, <laughs> mister, because it's going to happen. <laughs> I noticed Sue and I are major Mary Tyler Moore fans. Oh, yeah. And, and major... Ted Baxter of Mary Tyler Moore fans. But, um, so yeah, good movie. I'm glad I watched it. Yeah, I'm just cruising through to see if there were any little fun facts that we missed. And the reveal at the end is still creepy when that chair, her head kind of slumps over and then the chair turns around. Yeah, did you notice that it kind of is still for a second and that kind of like rocks? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was creepy. And so, just as a viewer, if it's your first time and you're not spoiled, you really think she's alive. <laughs> you do, and boy, that's just little things like, you put me in that cellar once before. You just yes. That. <laughs> what was going on? Yeah. It's 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 very interesting, and it was the first psychological thriller. Every other horror movie before this was just pure, you know, Dracula and Frankenstein and right, just monsters, like and, more paranormal monster. Yeah, yeah. You just think, man, I bet the audience was blown away. I remember mom telling me about seeing it in the theater. Oh, cool. And, yeah, I wonder if she would remember. We're going to have to ask her next time we talk to her. Because I remember her telling me about it and just how blown away. I think she went with some friends. I don't think she went with dad. I don't think she was married to dad yet. But, um, yeah, maybe she went with her cousin Karen or something. But I I just remember her telling me because she was telling me about it when I sat down and watched it with her when I was like nine or 10 uh-huh. and how she was like, this was like the scariest movie I'd seen in years, you know? Well, it is, it is so different and it's just the psychological scariness. And, you know, Matt on the Facebook page said that it was, you know, creepier the second time. And you look at it and you think, of course it is, man. The second time, if you don't know what's going on to go back and know that that's like Norman in the window and Norman talking to himself. Right. You know, it's to get the reveal and then think back is another thing than seeing it again and being like, holy bip. It's pretty cool. Now, when you say that's Norman in the window, do you mean sitting down in the chair looking out the window? No, the very first, when it's raining and Marion drives up, he's walking. He's kind of like, he walks, he's moving. He's walking in the window. He's dressed up as his mom. Oh. He is. 
So he was having a Norma moment. So he was yes. already Norma. Yeah, just by himself before anyone was around, you know. Oh, just, man. I was having a moment. Something must have threatened his idea of his mom being alive still. Uh, and just that, just that psychological aspect is it's awesome. It's still awesome and scary and creepy. And, it is, because when you watch it for the first time, and if you don't know, then you don't know until the last five minutes or so of the movie. Right. You, you're definitely, something's up when she uh, finds, well, is that the last five minutes? When she finds the fruit seller. Right. Mom. Right. Well, then it goes, the psychiatrist does his little speech, and then, yeah. So, last ten minutes, maybe. So, yeah, going, watching it the second time and knowing all that is creepier. Yeah. Okay. Um, one of my notes was how in the world did they shoot one of the shower angles, which is the shower head actually like you get a direct view of the shower running. Right. Did you see that? And were you like, how did they do that? Cause it's not getting the camera wet. Exactly. I don't know how they did that. So that was one of my notes, but I skipped it because I found out at, at on IMDb, they made a six foot big shower head. And so the spray was so big, it missed the camera lens. You're kidding. But they filmed it in such a way that it didn't look six feet. Crazy. Such a good idea. It's crazy. Oh, my gosh. And so. Uh, that is really impressive for back then, you know? Yeah. Well, it's inventive and it's awesome. But, yeah, I just could not figure out how they did that. And then to read that they made a huge shower head that just skipped it. Crazy. There was a camera angle I have a note about. I really like the camera angle when um, Abergas is, the detective is in the office with Norman and he's looking through the guest sign-in book. Uh-huh. And it, like the shot is up at Norman's chin and throat and he's like chewing on his candy. Hmm. I, didn't notice. I thought that was kind of interesting. Is it, like, it so it's like a close up of his chin? And throat? Yeah, it's kind of like up under him. And it kind of, you can kind of see Norman looking at it with him and just kind of like nervously chewing on his candy corn. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And let's see, another fun fact, filmed in 30 days. Then the last one, I will say, and if you want more fun facts, there's a ton (laughs) under the trivia section. Um, Walt Disney refused to allow Alfred Hitchcock to film at Disneyland in the early 60s because Hitchcock had made that disgusting movie, Psycho. (laughs) 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 He must have been filming a movie he wanted to have a scene at Disneyland, and he's like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) You made that disgusting movie. Oh, that's funny. It's interesting. That is. What a prude. That is. Well, (laughs) they were kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum, I mean. Yes. <laughs> Hitchcock's filming Psycho, Walt Disney's filming, I don't know. Fantasia. One, <laughs> I think that was earlier. Mary Poppins. Oh, <laughs> uh, Mary Poppins. Okay. Funny. There's more fun facts, but that'll do. Yep. All right. That was fun. That was fun watching it again. That was a lot of fun. I recommend it to anybody that's. Even if you've seen it before, rewatch it. It's fun. It holds up. Definitely. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. So I thought I didn't take a lot of notes because seriously, guys, 
this panel, it's the Paley Center panel discussion, and I tried to find it on YouTube, and I found a few clips of interviews, but it's not the actual panel discussion. It's something that's on the regular DVD. If you can get your hands on that from your library or something, Sue, you can borrow it when you borrow Psycho. Mm-hmm. It's a, just it's good fun. Just a nice little panel discussion. And so, I, you know, I just couldn't write. Every, it's 45 minutes long. And right, right. Um, it has uh, Nestor Carbonell, and I find out how to say Dylan's name. <laughs> it's oh. Max Terrio. Oh. So we've been saying it wrong, but anyway, now we know Max Terrio. And Nicola, I didn't write down her last name, that plays Bradley, Freddie Highmore, Vera Farmiga, Carlton Cuse, and the other creative lady, her name's Carrie something. So that's who's on the panel. Mm-hmm. We're missing um, Molly that plays. What's Nope. Um, we're missing her too. Um, um, Emma? Emma. That's, <laughs> did you know she's British? No. I had no idea. Huh. She's British also. She and Freddie are. Interesting. Anyway, she was in the UK and couldn't make it. Um. So why didn't they let her have a British accent then? Because she's from England in the show. And she's only been in America for like four years. What in the world? I did not put that together. I and I, but I remember wondering why doesn't she have an accent? And that's so weird that, that she too. actually has one, and they make her do American. Yeah, because she would have been like thirteen or fourteen when they moved. You would have had your accent by then. Definitely would have. That's weird. That is really strange. <laughs> um. So here's some just little bits I wrote down. Vera Formiga said that they got her at page two, where she was absolutely in. She says a line, and I don't actually remember this line. It must be at the beginning, and because it's on page two, she says, "You're such an asshole. I love you, Norman." That <laughs> 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 have been don't... in like the car scene or something when they're driving, and he's being sarcastic, sarcastic with her. Yeah, and he's being sarcastic about being happy they moved. Anyway, that is what. Made Vera all in. How funny. And Freddie Highmore said at the beginning, um, one of the things that he said, he's like, well, I know that I'm not going to die. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like in Lost and stuff. Right. Everyone's like, uh, you Walking could go dead. any script you get. Yeah, Walking Dead, any script you get, you could die. And he's like the only one <laughs> that's like <laughs> sitting easy. <laughs> that's funny. And they actually went back to that a few times because it was pretty funny. Um, It just came up a few times that he had said that. Okay, so um, Carrie, one of the writers and creators, talked about the nod to the old movies. And she said that having the old movies on a few times wasn't conscious at the beginning. But they did when they were forming the characters. They thought about what Norma and Norman would sound like together when they talk. And a 40s couple just seemed like the way to go. <laughs> they worked together as a unit. And the like the Oedipal stuff, they throw some knives in there. And <laughs> that's what they got. <laughs> <laughs> and Tucker Gates, who directed the first episode, 
really had a hand in all that. Um, he he was kind of formed the stylistic, you know, thing that we've known and loved about it that he kind of throws in the timeless stuff. And he would even, he didn't direct them all, but he was on set a lot of the time helping the other directors because it sounds like he turned into more of a cinematographer or something to me. Oh, okay. That he he would go on set once in a while, even when he wasn't directing. And I assume, or I don't know if the directors, other directors like this or not, but he kind of helped guide him through that vision and gave him pointers on how to keep that going. And Carlton Cuse, these are a few things he said. Um, they wanted to tell their own story. They wanted to be based on the movie, but do it their own way and tell their own story. Um, kind of, he compared it to Christopher Nolan with Batman. He kept the iconic stuff like the bat suit and the bat cave, but he's telling his own story. Right. Right. Um, and this to him, it's kind of a story that like Norman and Norma live together in their own little world. Um, and they could be happy doing that forever, but the modern world clashes with... It's like, those two would be, without outside influences, those two could live in their own little world forever and be happy. That totally comes across in the show. It does, yeah. Yep. And, and it with, comes across in the movie. I mean, doesn't the psychiatrist talk about that? Uh, I guess maybe a little, yeah. That That guy that came and built the hotel and stuff and she fell in love with. Just right. everything. Yeah. Um, and then they were asked about casting, if they had the people in mind while they were writing. And he said that this never happens, but they got like everybody they wanted. Like Nestor Carbonell, when he was writing Sheriff, it was like, you know, I want this guy to be kind of like a sheriff, like a Nestor Carbonell. <laughs> and they got him. And, nice. And they, they did write, Norma with like Vera Formiga like character and they got her and Freddie was brought to them early and they did like from England they did a Skype call mm -hmm. and they were like wow he's perfect but let's do other people and no one even came close does it mention who else they is it mention any names do we know who else tried out for that part they didn't so no um Uh, okay, it's, I think that's all I wrote down for Carlton at the moment. Um, except that he said that Vera telling off Raouf is his very favorite scene so far. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> um, so then we I wrote down some things Vera said. She said um, she absolutely loves Norma and she has like a lot of sympathy for her. In fact, she would give people dirty looks if they... Like Carlton, if he said anything like during this panel discussion that was <laughs> a tad disparaging toward Norma, she's really, really gotten sympathetic towards her. Um, and she, she, um, she approaches the sexuality in a very innocent way. She says in her head, what Norma's doing is extremely innocent and she's treating it like bonding therapy is going to cure him. Like if she, 
hugs him enough mm-hmm. and bonds with him enough, this will all go away. All the things that scare her about him. Right. And so that's how she's approaching it. Um, so it's very innocent in her eyes. And um, she says that she is a, she has built a dam and she's got like a lifetime of crap that she's like just sanding over the fissures. And that comes across very, very well too. Yes, it does. (laughs) Oh, and okay. So they talked about Emma, the character, Emma, and they thought they put her in as having cystic fibrosis because they shot, they thought a show about that. So about life and death and horror and putting someone who was actually battling life and death on a real basis was an intriguing concept to them. Hmm. And they chose cystic fibrosis because Carrie has a very good friend with it and it totally didn't define him. She said he was just like, Oh yeah, well there's that. And she was kind of pointing toward the oxygen tank like, yeah, you know, that's just a small piece of me. Right. Which and, is kind of how Emma approaches it too. Yeah. So yeah. that's I think that's what they've they're trying to do. Um and they feel that if Norman Bates could be saved, Emma is the one that possibly could have done it. I kind of feel that way too that Norma is just going to mess him up more. Yeah. Emma just seems so grounded in reality because of her cystic fibrosis, I think. And because she, her mom left her and, you know, she hasn't had the easiest life, but she seems content. Yeah. And we know Norman's not saved, but. Right. They approach Emma that if anyone. Could do it, it could be her. And I think I read somewhere, I don't remember if it was just a review, but someone said something really cool where someone's like, do you think Norman's going to murder Emma? You know, and he's like, I feel like Emma's someone that he would stuff. <laughs> I'm like, totally. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> he wouldn't oh, would stuff her. Like if she died of natural causes? And then stuff her, or like yeah, her or if she, or her. if someone else murdered her, or if Norma Bates and I'm using air quotes <laughs> murdered her, <laughs> he would stuff her. Oh. Just because he's, I don't know. They just feel like very gentle and just a. And I feel like if this is the way they're going, that Nor- if if she could be, if Norman could be saved, she could have done it. I think some. I think that their relationship's only going to get better and better through the seasons. And I also feel like she dies sadly. Probably. Could be a cystic fibrosis or it could be something else. Yeah. I think they're going to get us because we already love the character, Emma. And I just feel like she's going to be that one that we fall more and more in love with her. And then she's going to be taken away. Yep. I agree. And... Kind of like Herschel. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the, with the directors, they said that the direction they gave the directors is that they wanted it to look cinematically. Um, and it does, but they mm-hmm. wanted it to be kind of a nod to a Hitchcock movie. But I don't think they're trying to, they don't look like they're trying to film it like a Hitchcock. I just think they're going for the cinematic look 
as a nod to Hitchcock movies. I agree. It does. It it's a very well shot. Yeah. It's yeah. I've always liked that about the shows. And it's just very nicely done. Have you noticed that Carlton Cuse is the voice that says previously on Bates Motel? I did not know that. His voice and that is their answer to Hitchcock's being in the movies, in every movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. And that's all I got. Well, I want to watch it. I'll definitely have to borrow that from you. Yeah, that's good. It's really fun to watch. And I left a lot of stuff out so people can enjoy it. <laughs> right, right. Right on. I like those panels. I like to, I'll watch the ones that are on YouTube sometimes of like Comic-Con panels and stuff. Yeah. Once in a while I will too. If you just like have some downtime and you're into a show or something. Right. And sometimes it's just fun to see the actors all together, not in their character and just having a good time. And yeah, you know, you can tell the ones like I've seen a couple walking dead ones and you can tell they all just get along really well and have a lot of fun together. Yeah, and I love to hear the actors' motivations and Yep. It's all very insightful. And that's just, you know, the stuff I feed off of. Yep. Exactly. Love that stuff. Same. Right on. Well, should we get to Let's move on to our Okay, well, do you want to explain what we're doing? Um, yeah, Emily and I kind of decided that we should do not a huge one but just kind of a season one wrap up so to say because really our our last episode was just about the last episode of the show we didn't really talk about it as a whole and so um we thought maybe the best way to do that is just for each of us to come up with our top five favorites of the show and it could be the top five could be anything it could be an actor, it could be a character, just a particular scene, a theme. It, it's just wide open. Very general term. Yeah. So we have done that. And I don't know about you, but I just, it just seemed weird to try and put them in like a, these, like the top five in my top five favorites. I, I couldn't really say number four is better than number five and number three is better than number four. Right. Um, and I also, just as a disclaimer, I wrote at the beginning of the morning yesterday, I wrote on a notebook and put it in a central spot in my house, my five favorites. So I could just ponder it all day and have a notebook to write them down really quick when I thought of them. Mm -hmm. And when I, put the notebook down, I thought, well, I'll just write what I've got in my head. And I came up with six things, and then through the day, I couldn't think of anything I better liked better. And if I had taken a few more days, I might I might be missing some glaring things, which would be fine. If you got them, that'd be great. And you have different things than I do. Um, right. I know. I was Because we just came up with this idea, like, what, yesterday or the day yeah. before? So we I think haven't had the day before, like, the night before. So in the morning, because I know I did this in the morning, unless we talked about it early morning. Yeah, I pretty much did mine while I was at work yesterday, so, um, but I was laughing as I was writing them down. I was like, what if me and Em come up with the exact same ones? I could see it happening, I although I have you. one that I know is just mine. <laughs> okay, cool, um, but I am going to say that I think my number one is my number one, but the other four could be in any order, so. 
Yeah, I'm not sure. I think maybe my number one is I. I'll claim it now. Okay. My number <laughs> one is my normal one, number one. <laughs> cool. All right. Well. Do you want to do like five, five, four, four, or you want to go and then I'll go, or what? Um, I'll let's do five, five, and then four, okay. four. Okay. Um, do you want my number five then? Do you want me to start? Yeah, go ahead. Um, I'm going to put my number five as uh, Sheriff Romero. Okay. I just really, really like Sheriff Romero. He's one of my favorite characters. Um, I love his, like, no-nonsense style. I like how he doesn't let anyone get away with anything unless it can benefit him. Um, I like the way he handles Norma. And I just think he's just going to be a very like a very interesting foil to Norma throughout the whole series. Yeah. You know, I just, I, I really agree. like their scenes together. I think he adds a lot to it because Norma is just crazy. And he kind of brings her down to reality here and there, but yet he's also willing to be a little corrupt himself. Mm -hmm. So he's not like, he's, he's not Andy Griffith, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but he's also not. The guy in the movie was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was Andy and Aunt B right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The, yeah. The wife. The ones that they wake up in the middle of the night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I just really like that about him, that there is. He's a good sheriff. He's he's got that town's best interest best interest in mind, but yet it's not he's also willing to just completely cover up the whole Shelby Keith Summers thing. And I just think he's gonna be They've played him very interesting because he's like not a goody goody, but Right. But he's not terrible. He's not a bad guy either. He's a good guy. Right. At, at the end, I feel like he's generally a good guy, but he's definitely not a goody-goody. No, because... Is there I a mean, better way he, to say that about a sheriff? <laughs> I mean, he murders Abernathy. Right. I mean, that's just, murder. He's just a great... Yeah, definitely. And so, he's... I, I don't know how... It, this could bring him down a few pegs if he was involved in the... in the uh, burning of the man in the town. Right. All of that was just too much to me. I mean, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna shout hooray and fist pump like I would, you know, when he shoots Abernathy and he falls. Right. Right. It's just too small town, really crooked weirdness. And I don't know how involved Sheriff Romano was in that. It didn't seem like very much, but maybe he just turns a blind eye, which is okay, I guess. I think that's probably what it is, is more of the blind eye. I don't think he was behind it. No. I don't either. I think it's these families. Yeah. These mysterious families. Yeah. But I, I, I still think he's a little bit more involved in the whole marijuana thing than... Definitely. ...than we think, but I don't think he was behind the actual burning of the bodies. That seems... I mean, he was okay with killing Abernathy, because, you know, probably in his mind... 
Abernathy is running not only a sex slave trade in his town, but in three others. Yes, and he seems very properly disgusted. He does. And by it's like, sex trading. If you have the chance to just, instead of letting this guy go through the whole judicial system, where maybe there's a chance he'll get let go, you know? It's uh-huh. like, just kill him. <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to miss him. <laughs> yep, and I, I like that about his character, that he wasn't above that. I do too. That's that's what I like about him is he's very interesting and I'm just looking forward to getting to know him more. Right. So, and so he will throw out all that money just because of where it came from. Love it. Love that about him too. Cuz that was a lot of money. That's life changing. A lot of money, money you yep. know. And you so. may uh, see Romero up on my list too. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was my number 5. Okay, my number 5 I'm going to put as the reveal of Dead Shelby in Norma's bed. That was fantastic. Ah. That nice. was shocking. I didn't expect it, and it was gross, and it was just fantastically creepy. It was. It was. That was, uh... Yeah. You just did not see that coming, and it was just so... What? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they couldn't have made him just Grosser. more gross. It's just amazing. Yeah. Great. Yeah, no, that's a good one. That's not on my list. Um, so I guess that's all for me. <laughs> yeah, we've talked about that scene quite a bit. So yeah. What else we could really add? Everyone knows we thought it was gross, and he had to be leaky <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and smelly. <laughs> um. But my number four is a scene as well, and it's the one where um, Norman has his first hallucinated conversation with Norma about getting the belt back. Ooh, yeah, good one. That was a crazy reveal to me. Yeah, that was awesome. Good choice. Yep. Not one of mine, but maybe would have been if I had thought of it. Um, I'm going to list my number four as, and you know I have to do this. Putting a Radiohead song in the first episode, <laughs> that's going to make my top five. <laughs> I don't care what you are. <laughs> I should have known. Good it's... choice, Bates Motel. You got good taste. You totally got kudos from M. <laughs> you I made remember... a fan for life. I remember getting a text from Emily. She's like, Radiohead song in the first 15 minutes of the first episode? <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> and that was long before we decided to do this podcast. <laughs> yes, it was. So, all right. That's not surprising to me. <laughs> um, so, I my number three is just the the whole timelessness aspect of the show. Ooh, good one. Yay, and we have different ones. I like how Norma is just like kind of a 1960s housewife-ish, you know, mm-hmm. with the way she dresses and just all the old-timey furniture and but mixed with all the modern stuff. Awesome. Yeah, I love that too. Um, yep. And I think they do it well. They blend it all together well. So it's not like nothing's jarring. jarring. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's brilliant. Yep. It's done like very seamlessly. 
Yeah, and Miss Watson is so old fashioned. Look, yes. you know, I like her look. Yeah. It's not like, what is this 60s person, you know, doing in the school? It's not like that. Right, right. It's, yeah, it's just done kind of subtly, but okay. it's there, you know, and I just, I love that about it. Agreed. I'm going to put my number three as um, the Norma goes nuts on Rauf. <laughs> <laughs> that just was so fantastic. Yes, that is. That is just a great. That is a great thing. Um, it's just funny. It, it was just a good scene. It's something that I will always associate. Like, you think Bates Motel, that scene is one of the first images that flash in my mind. Well, and it does for a lot of people. Like, um, my sister-in-law, Randy, was up a few nights ago, and I was telling her how you and I kind of marathoned and done, had been recording the last two episodes, and we were kind of talking about the second to the last one, Underwater. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Randy goes, Rauf. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> and it's been a few months since she's seen the show, but that's like, that's what, you know, that stayed in her head. Yep. Um, okay, so we're on number two. Uh -huh. um, my number two is the, is Dylan, the character of Dylan. Yeah, he's a blaring omission from my list that probably should be there. But I don't know what I would knock off. Yeah, he... Um, I just love that they added this character because we've kind of talked about it before. If it was just the Norma and Norman show, it would they would just crazy each other to death. They would. He's such a great speak for the audience. He's yep. just a... He's brilliant. He's good. Adding He's, him was just a stroke of genius. It was a stroke of genius. And I think Max Tirio, um, just I love the way he, he was just such a good choice for that character. Yeah. Um, I, I love like the relationship he has with Norma and I love the relationship he's having with Norman. Mm -hmm. I just think he's such a good buffer and... I don't know. Like I said, they would crazy each other to death in like the second episode if he wasn't around. Yeah, they would, and it would get it would be weird to watch. I think, but it having would. him I come don't in think... and be like, "Hello, Mr. and Mrs. Bates," it just yes, I love like the perfect. comedy he brings to it, and I really like that they're also he's not just I don't know he's he's not the cousin Oliver in the show. He's got his own yes. He's got his own plot as well. His own like little subplot. So yeah, I, and I, even I, though I, he might seem like an interloper if you're a big movie fan of the movie, he he's not. He's not. And I don't no. think anyone would call him that after watching him. I don't think so. I don't think so. And I think, and I hate to say it, but I, I think, and it probably won't happen, I would say, till the final but I think Dylan's going to go. 
Right. Well, if you look at the movie as canon, there's just no way that's all went down without with Dylan being there and conscious. Right. And, there's no way Dylan's alive. Right. I just don't see that. Mm-mm. So he he can't be allowed to have Norman carry out his fantasy to the extent that he does. Dylan just can't be around. He right. would allow it to happen. Norman would be put away. Something, you know. Exactly, exactly. And that is just what's even more fascinating about the Dylan character to me, too, is just what happens to him, yep, you know. What happens. So it's I just. It's going to be yeah, rough. It's, it's a stroke of genius. I, I really like everything about Dylan. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, I, okay, so number two is where I combined two things, and I had already kind of combined two things, so it's kind of combining three things. (laughs) (laughs) But they all go together. (laughs) Should we make it a top (laughs) ten? That would have been easier on me. Um, so it was originally the concept slash execution, and then I added casting. I am in love with just, and I've said this before, I love the concept of going back and telling Norman's origin story. Love it. And I love the way they're doing it. The execution, you know, the, like you've said, the timelessness, all of that is fantastic. And I love the casting. I love everybody they cast. They, you know, they've just, they've done a fantastic job. So, just the whole production, I guess you could call it, is my number two. I actually have that as an honorable mention. It's my only uh, honorable mention. Because I even wrote down, this might be a cop-out, but I just love the whole idea of the show. <laughs> well, you know, we're doing we're doing film spotting here. <laughs> if you're a fan of film spotting, you have yes. to cheat. You have to do an honorable mention. You do. You have, to, you have to combine some to make it fit on your list. And exactly. <laughs> I'm, only, I'm only pulling an atom. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. Just the whole idea... Whoever came up with this idea, bravo, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Because it is, it's fascinating. And what I like about it, and I was thinking about this yesterday when I was kind of writing down my ideas for this list, is I like how we're not going to be so obsessed with how are they going to end this? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like when you're into a show... Like, anyone who was into Lost, you were obsessed with how they were going to end it for probably the last three seasons of it or more. Right, and I've talked about this about Dexter, and I was yes very disappointed. Yes. (laughs) But, yeah. same with Breaking Bad. You know, you're like, how is this going to wrap up? Yes, Breaking Bad, and that was an example of just beautiful. Beautiful ending, yeah. Absolutely stellar the perfect ending. Um, But it also, when I'm watching shows like that, it bothers me when I get kind of, I wouldn't say I get obsessive about how it's going to end, but I think about it. You get really, yeah, you get caught up in that. You get kind of caught up in it and it kind of ruins it sometimes. It, it ruins the presence, you know, the just enjoy this episode and then enjoy the next episode and let's not worry about the end. Yeah, this is a different style of storytelling, and I enjoy it once in a while. 
I, I do. don't know if I want everything to be this way, but no, no. Once no. in a while, it's just a wonderful form of storytelling. It's it's a nice refresher because I'm not going to be sitting there when it comes to say you know if there's a season four, and you know there's probably only another season or two. You're not going to be like, all right, they're going to start wrapping it up now. What do we need to pay attention to, or what do we you know? We don't have to worry about any of that. We don't, and it's just, it's just, a, I don't know, like a breath of fresh air. It's just a different. Yep. It's it's fun. It's novel. It's um. You just get to you get to watch a show in a different way, and you yep. get you you just get other elements that you don't get in other shows. You get to be like, ooh, you know, like we've heard that in season two, the fruit seller's introduced, and it's like, ooh, you know, yeah. Yes. Give Mr. Burns your hands together, and exactly. it's just exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and you just Excellent. don't get that, right? <laughs> yeah. And so that's just fun. It's it's just a lot of fun. It's a fun way to watch a show once in a while. It is. It is. So I I like it. Well, you ready for number one? Drum roll. Yep. My number one is probably I don't know. Because it's a blaring omission, but Vera Farmiga. Yeah. She. See, I just did casting. <laughs> I got to. You know, I did have my note was the acting, and then I was like, you know what? I need to just narrow it down. And Vera Farmiga is just. She does deserve her own category. She does. I mean, she is so good because she took this character that wasn't really a character, <laughs> you know? Sure. <laughs> and just brought Mrs. Bates to life in such a great way. I just, I can't imagine it any other way. The show could be really bad. Oh, if, if they would have cast someone that kind of made her more demure or something, or yeah. I don't know. You know just, what I mean? I think she has helped shape the show into what it is better than anybody else. I think she has too. I really do, because she... We all knew Mrs. Bates from the movie just from being Norman, being Norman. And just Vera is she's so good. And I remember watching the first episode for the first time and just being kind of startled, like Mrs. Bates is alive. This is Mrs. Bates. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. <Have> fun. <laughs> and I just loved her moxie and I love her craziness and I love her love for her son I I just love everything about her and it I just don't think it would be as good I know there's a lot of really good actresses out there but I just don't think anyone else could do it the way she does yeah and it just learning watching that thing yesterday and learning how sympathetic she is and how much she loves Norma mm -hmm. that's she nice just, to hear she kind of really internalized her and gets her and she loves her and she's playing that, you know. Right. And it's coming out and her acting. Just, she's just crafting it really well. She is. And she really seems to just, like, totally encompass that character. I mean, it, like that scene in the last episode, that one at the, <laughs> my favorite one in the last episode where she bumps into that dude and then, like, screw off, shithead, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I think that was all Vera. I, 
I just, I, I don't know. I just think they probably did a few different takes. I don't know. I, cause I can see that scene going a lot of different ways and just the way that Vera did it was just perfect, you know? <laughs> yeah. So she's, she's my number one. The show wouldn't be what it is if it wasn't her. Yeah, I agree. Good. Good number one. Thanks. Um, my number one is the Romero Romero Norma dynamic. I love the, their scenes together. Yeah. I just and I'm excited because I hear the next season they are going to play that up more and it, we're gonna have plenty more. I. I love the two characters so much, and then together they just there's a different kind of magic that there is love. Yep. Nope. I agree. That's a that's a great that's a real because yeah, their scenes are some of my favorites in the whole series so far. Yep, and they make me laugh, and I just love it. Yep. Yeah, I just love the way he handles her. He is just not gonna let her get all up in his grill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's just when he when she's at that that let's see is it the last episode <laughs> where she's in the office talking to the secretary and he just walks in, he's like, Vera, whatever Bates. No, he's like Norma Louise Bates. <laughs> Norma <laughs> really? Or in that same episode when he come, He finally shows up about the flower delivery thing, and he, oh, yeah. he just—he was so great. That's he's like, it's kind of funny you got into the hospitality, right? <laughs> you no, know, I service industry when you're not too keen to service anyone. Yep. Yeah, I like what we've already seen, and I like the promise of it of just more. getting better because it did get better as it went on. It did, and I'm. Yeah, and that makes me excited that there's going to be more. Hopefully the writers realize that these two are great together. They do. I'm pretty sure they do. Yeah. So. Well, I we need to wrap up. I've got to run lunch to Eleanor. <laughs> oh, okay. So, well, yeah, we finished our top five. Um, so that's kind of our wrap-up on season one. And we are totally looking forward to season two in five days. Yep. We uh, don't have time to do any more waxing on the next season. So if you, we would love to do it online though. So if, uh, if you're listening and you want to, I guess there's not going to be much time when this is released and when we get to watch Bates Motel, but right. If you are hearing this before it airs and you're interested, come join us on Facebook. We've had, we got into some discussions on there yesterday. Mm -hmm. Um, just talking about the next season and theories and things. So, yeah, we'd like to have more people join and add their thoughts. Yep. So, all right. Well, until next time. Well, you can also email us at yesmotherpodcast at gmail.com. Yep. Or um, find us on Twitter. Yes, mothercast. Is that it? Yes, 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 mother cast. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, we will. Uh, I guess next time we'll be uh, watching the season premiere. Yay. All right. Well, 
thanks for listening and we'll talk to you later. Yep. Later. Ten worst TV couples. It seems like Buffy and Angel are always on there. They should be. A lot of people just love it, though. But right, you know, and I like both characters, especially Buffy. I, you know, Angel's hit and miss, but those two together is oh, it's it's so nauseating. See, and that just that is something that can just really repel me from a show. Is I hate bad couples <laughs> yeah well i really do like cam and i both hate everybody loves raymond so much like i don't think i've even seen a full episode i've never seen five minutes i don't think because his and his wife's relationship they're horrible people to each other <laughs> she's horrible <laughs> well i couldn't you know she was in like what albertson's commercials uh-huh and I had never seen the show, and I was just like, who is this lady? I hate her so bad. <laughs> and then I find out later she was like his wife, and I was like, oh, yeah, I've never seen that show. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't uh, mind Ray Romano, though. He's kind of funny. See, that's the thing. I don't mind him either. It's not that I, do, I don't like him. I, I couldn't stand the relationship with his wife. Like, even the commercials, I'd be like, I can't. I just can't watch his show. And that one even earlier oh mad about you is that the one with like paul reiser and helen hunt helen hunt i hated them as a couple yeah they were like didn't watch that much either maybe one episode or two that was one of those shows that was always on when i came home from somewhere and it would just be on and so i'd see it i didn't seek it out or watch right. it on you know and i just every episode i was like this is the worst couple. They do not trust each other. Everything, every time one of them would say something to the other, they would be like, why'd you say that? Why would you say that? You know? Oh. That sucks. So annoying. Yeah, Cam and I were even talking about not too long ago. He's like, I just don't think there's ever been a good husband and wife on TV. And I'm like, Dan and Roseanne Connor. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, you're right. <laughs>
Rob and Laura were good, although they had their problems. But most as a whole, Robin ninety five percent cute. Yeah, yeah. She played the little demure wifey a little bit too much once in a while, but it was also a different era. You know? It was it they it was good for its time. It was good for say their that. era. Exactly. They were they were a bit ahead of their times. I would say definitely. Because, yeah, because, like, you watch something like Leave it to Beaver. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. Well, she was the first housewife in pants. Well, she's got that because everything else. (laughs) Oh, wait. Laura Petrie was. That's right. Yes. No, Laura. June Cleaver in pants. I know. I was like, I don't remember that episode, but it's not like I I know Leave it to Beaver all that well. (laughs) No, Laura was. Because when they were doing costuming at the beginning, she's like, listen, all of my friends we don't wear dresses like all the other women on TV. We wear pants when we're home. Good old Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah, good job, Mary. Yeah, June Cleaver. She always seems so alarmed when, like, the phone rings. Like, who is that? What's going on? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Where are my pearls? Well, Buffy and Angel have going for them. He gets his own show at the end of season three, so he's gone. Oh, Okay. And he's pretty good in just his own show, because Buffy's not there. You know, it's just Whedon. It, it makes fun of itself enough. And it makes fun of the Buffy and Angel character enough, too, I think. That it's watchable. Palatable. Yeah. All right. All right. I'll do it. Yeah. And there's... Well, that, I'm not going to say anything. Never mind. <laughs> 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 